0: Welcome to Long COVID Physio Podcasts. The podcast for physiotherapists, support workers and other allied health professionals to share their stories of living with Long COVID. Hello and welcome to Long COVID Physio Podcast. My name is Darren Brown. I'm a physiotherapist and I have experience of living with Long COVID. And today I'm very happy to welcome our guest, Jenny, who is a friend and a colleague. So Jenny, would you do us the honor of introducing yourself?
1: Hi, yes, I'm Jenny Setchell. I don't have any experience with living with or um, experienced COVID at all myself. I'm in, in that way, very lucky to be living in Australia at the moment. So it's not as around me as it is for many people. Uh, and I do re- recognize that privilege. Um, Yeah, so I'm a Senior Research Fellow at the University of Queensland in the Physiotherapy Department. I have been a physiotherapist for 20 years, but um, as a clinician as well, worked in all different areas of physiotherapy. And my research now, though, um, I did my PhD in psychology. I kind of am more of a sociologist. I use kind of philosophy and social theory to think about physiotherapy and related health professions and i'm sure you'll get some insight into how my mind works in that way as we chat um um, yeah what else to say uh i think that's it for now
0: great well i as i said i am so excited to have this podcast with you today because you are a friend of mine and i've got all the love in the world for you because like we met Oh my god like now so it's 2015 we first met at the world physio congress in singapore, singapore i think it was which was my first ever world physio congress and we got chatted on twitter didn't we because you were doing a presentation on weight stigma um and yeah so we met up and we've stayed in contact ever since and i remember we went to raffles and had a singapore sling and everything
1: <laughs> we did and i took you to like Hawker venues, which were just fantastic, but you got a stomach bug out of it. I did, I yeah. know! <laughs> it, was first, it was my first World Physio Cong- Congress as well, actually. Oh, that what one. I didn't so know there that. Go. Yeah, we're both newbies.
0: And we've kind of set up our own little tradition, haven't we, ever since, where every Congress now, we catch up and have a drink somewhere. Although this year will be different. We'll have to figure out what to do because it's going to be online.
1: We'll just have to do... Um, Online cocktails. <laughs>
0: we're we'll doing Zoom cocktail session. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the reason we're doing this podcast today is because it was about. I think it was a week ago. I had um, I-, I tweeted some personal opinions uh, about some uh, thoughts that I'd been having about the conversations and the narratives around physical activity and exercise in the context of long COVID, which is I was feeling a bit frustrated about it all online. And you replied to one of my tweets uh, with a link to an article that you are a co-author on, and. It really sung to me. It, it actually really kind of was a bit of a light bulb moment for me in a way. And I wonder if you would do us the honour of telling us more about this paper that you shared.
1: Yeah, sure. So it was a paper that was for a journal called, the, called Qualitative Research in Sport, Exercise and Health. And they were having a, a special issue on the topic of exercise as medicine. And this journal is um, quite a sort of thoughtful journal. Uh, So when they had uh, a call out for um, for papers that discussed this concept of exercise as medicine, I knew they'd be interested in something which kind of critiqued that concept. So it's kind of, I guess, this idea that exercise is helpful and good um, is this kind of universally assumed truth at the moment definitely in physiotherapy, I would say that's pretty much the case. And of course, just like anything, exercise is not, um, nothing is universally good. And exercise is one of those things. It can be harmful. It can, it can, we can die from over-exercising, for example, or or, or doing risky exercise. Um, And I guess my, my research in the weight stigma field is one space where I first explored that, where you can see that over-exercising, when it's like um, disordered behavior can lead to people dying from, from, from being unwell, from exercising too much, pushing themselves to exercise too much uh, to in attempts to change their body weight. So yeah, I guess that wasn't, um, then your message wasn't terribly surprising to me because I had already started to explore these contexts where exercise can be um, unhelpful. Um, And, yeah, so that so one example, which is the one that you gave there, is that in fatigue type syndromes, exercise can be the opposite of what you need at that time. Uh, And it can contribute to increasing things like fatigue or pain syndromes. Yeah. if, If not applied in the right way or or if applied at all, sometimes, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I'm quite comfortable with that concept. I wrote that article with there was a group of us and we all came from quite different perspectives. It's quite a technical, um, philosophical article, um, but it's a really interesting read and I think it's got something for clinicians in there or just for the general public too. So it talks about um, how exercise can be um, almost a way of controlling our own bodies and our own lives. and. And that's another way in which it can be harmful. If we're always seeking to control and do things in quite rigid ways, and our whole life is, you know, taken up by um, doing things for the good of the body or for like healthism, I guess is the word for that, that then that can be harmful. We, we, we forget to sort of um, recreation in the non-goal oriented sense. We forget to just relax and have a Singapore sling, for example. <laughs> um, <laughs> everything is a project that needs to be completed and that can add to things like stress and you know mental health issues, that type of stuff. So yeah, it explores a, a number of ways in which exercise can be harmful.
0: Um, yeah and that that's where i found it so fascinating because you mentioned that uh this was an area that maybe um wasn't surprising to you and for me personally as a person with experience of living with long covid it has been surprising um and i you know I'm, i've been very transparent in my blind spots with this um which has been that i i wasn't aware really of um myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome presentations with uh post-exertion malaise before experiencing it myself uh, which is why i ended up with such impairment myself because I was trying to exercise through my symptoms um but it's been novel to me the responses to saying that I've had difficulties with exercising um so I, I found your article really interesting to critically discuss some of the troublesome um aspects of therapeutic exercise uh because I think my own personal experiences before living through this I was indoctrinated into that belief that exercise is medicine and I believed it very strongly um, and hadn't heard many of the troublesome aspects so you've mentioned a couple there what other things are some of those troublesome aspects
1: yeah I guess um, they were talking some some of the other authors work in the Childhood healthcare kind of setting, working with kids with disabilities, that type of stuff, and there's kind of um, there's there's a number of things. Exercise is kind of often framed in particular ways. We think of gyms, for example. We think of um, you know other sporting environments where kind of sort of normative bodies, so particular types of bodies, are seen as more um, positive than others. So that's the case in terms of fatness as well. So I'm using that in the reclaimed sense of the word fatness, but yeah, so bigger bodies are seen as um, not as positive often in those spaces where exercise is possible. It's the same in the physio clinic too. So um, I, I interviewed uh, people with a range of different body sizes and people spoke about how, with a bigger body, it can be quite challenging to go into the physio clinic because it has often um, exercise gear, It reminds them of a gym like environment and they don't feel comfortable in those environments, which is a surprising thing as a physiotherapist that you 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 want your space to be welcoming. You don't feel like it's kind of making any comment on people's bodies, but in this kind of um, implicit way, it is um, making those kinds of comments. So we have to be quite careful with how how visible people are in our spaces, how we set up our spaces. So so that is the um, body size, but also people with disabilities, they can move in ways that are not seen as socially acceptable. People with uh, queered bodies as well um, might feel uh, uncomfortable in you know, various elements of their body as a transgender person. Uh, and there's also, uh, the article also speaks about gender, that um, this aim to have this kind of taught, non-jiggly kind of flesh um is kind of almost like a um uh, a more masculine kind of way of presenting the body rather than so it can be um a less comfortable space for sort of female looking bodies or whatever yeah
0: yeah and i i wonder if there's so much of this that may be new to people that are are listening to this podcast because i think there is such a uh, pervasive narrative in society that we must exercise. We must live our healthiest lives. We must avoid um, the future implications of being sedentary. Um, And so, so much of us, you know, we wear our wearables. We we have it in our daily lives, don't we? Um, That we must move more. And I know that certainly a lot of us in our long COVID physio group have found it so difficult to learn to pace and rest because we've all been so used to the thought process that exercise is good for us so we must continue um, and, and we and that's been a really unifying thought for all of us which is we've found it so difficult to go against what's almost like our professional belief
1: yeah and it can be good like and I don't want to say that exercise is not good because it, be
0: really, <laughs> it can be really helpful
1: just the problem is when it's assumed to always be helpful really um, and so it's and it's more accessible to some than others mm. right so and, and at different times in our lives it's more accessible so you feeling guilty for not exercising because it's making you sore or whatever or more, more fatigued um, it's not helpful to add that on to the you know, that guilt thing of of not doing what you think you're supposed to be doing, it's not helpful. And um, yeah, for people that don't feel comfortable um, in exercise spaces, that uh, shame can um, be a part of the experience as well. So we sort of need to, so that makes um, activity kind of less accessible to some people as well. So yeah, it's, it's, um, when you dig into it, there's all these different complexities to it. It's quite fascinating actually. Uh, and again, just to say, absolutely, exercise can be really helpful. <laughs> so I'm not saying that it's not helpful, um, but there are times when it can be unhelpful. And it's really important to um, think more complexly about it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's been a, a really important topic that we've learned as well, which is that it, in sharing our personal experiences of we found difficulty with exercise because it maybe has exacerbated some of our symptoms, Um, We found it really difficult to almost share that story and be heard Um, and we've been very much saying, you know, there there needs to be some caution with physical activity and exercise, but we're not saying we're anti-exercise, we're saying we're pro-safety. And I think that's where, for me, that this paper and this conversation is, is a bit of a light bulb moment because it's now opening up those opportunities to think about the diversity and thought of this and the nuances in it. Um, because there was a, there's a particular sentence in the paper that I wanna read out because I've highlighted it because it was like the one that stuck to me, which is, um, Not only is it dangerous to assume that it is unquestionably good in the terms of therapeutic exercise uh, or that it is not without complexities and but thereby unworthy of scrutiny and for me that really stuck out really true which is we must be scrutinous with what we're doing in terms of rehabilitation and interventions for healthcare conditions and if we can't have these open diverse dialogues and conversations about what's good and what's not good it really puts us in a dangerous position
1: yeah absolutely and um i think like there's some really interesting research on overtraining for example in in high-up athletes we know that you know not like doing exercise and continue to do more exercise is not going to give you Um, always a a better gain by doing more we do know that Um, but it's something that we don't talk about that much or or really you know consider that overtraining you know and overtraining for one person is very different to overtraining for the next next person Uh, I used to be in a a sport where a lot of people not sport but circus (laughs) physical activity where a lot of people really overtrained there wasn't much science around it circus but we were you know we were doing aerials so we're doing a lot of High um, intensity, um, very—you had to be very, very strong to do that work. So we did a lot of training. Um, But you know, I'd give talks there about overtraining as well. So I guess that's before my PhD, but something another place where I started to notice that people were just, you know, spending hours and hours and hours and hours training without um, much science behind that. Uh, And so I looked into the literature of overtraining and how to understand your own body. to to sort of make decisions about how much was overtraining for you. There's no set amount of what's overtraining and what's not, and that would be the same with um, someone living with long COVID or or similar, you know, fatigue-type syndromes, that you need to work out what's the appropriate amount for you. And that that can be really complex. And particularly, I'd say, Darren, with something like COVID where it's a sudden change, you know, where there's kind of like this real shift from, from... Living in a particular way to and expecting to be able to do a particular amount of activity, and then that changes. And it can, and I'm sure you know this better than me. But my partner also lives with a chronic fatigue condition uh, of fibromyalgia, so I've I've seen it um, on a personal level, uh, close at hand. That you know the same amount of activity might not have a reliable change in your body. It might might be positive one time and 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 quite negative and, and, you know, set you off for a couple of weeks um, the next time. So how to learn and how to better guess what's the appropriate level for you, I think is really tricky. So with this overtraining stuff, there were all these different, there, there was some sort of checklist which I guess can be helpful in some ways about how well I've slept, how well, like what, what level my nutrition's at, like even considering all those types of things, as well as how I'm feeling on the day, you know, all these there's, there's a lot of things to consider when you're thinking about this on, on that level of sort of overtraining. I think that kind of approach can be helpful as well. Yeah, that's great. I was wondering what people have said to you. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm going on a different I, tangent. Oh, but.
0: No, 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 not at all. So I'm, I am going to come to that, but I want to come back to something first, but I will go there because um, I really want to. <laughs> okay, good. You mentioned something about shame earlier. Yeah. And that's been something that's come up a lot amongst um, not only people living with uh, long COVID, but particularly amongst us physios living with long COVID. Um, yeah. And it's that shame that's, and that skepticism um, and also potentially stigma uh, associated with our reduced functional capacity. It's been a really uniting theme amongst us where whether it be that that's uh, shame that's Uh, internal or put upon us or societal we can't quite pick out but we're feeling it we're feeling it because we want to respond to the pandemic we want to do our jobs we want to have our identities in our professional and personally personal lives but have been limited by uh, our multi-dimensional episodic and unpredictable disability (laughs) like what you mentioned with your partner where one day it seems fine and the other day doesn't and there's there's an unpredictability in what you can and can't do which makes it really difficult then for people to legitimize your experiences because you can't even solidify what's going on because it's so fluctuant and changing and and yeah
1: yeah it's a it's a it's um a complex thing, shame. It's and um, stigma. It's that's I've done a lot of research around stigma and stigma in physiotherapy, and really stigma comes about. It's not like someone discriminates against someone for. Um, it's not. It's not that there's some people who are bad people who discriminate against other people. Although those people exist, right? It's <laughs> actually about these assumed norms and goods. You know, like exercise being assumed to be good. Yeah. This is where stigma comes up. It's actually more subtle than that kind, of, and, and pervasive than that kind of, you know, I'm going to be homophobic or I'm going to be, you know, racist. It's actually more that there's this subtle underlying assumption that being able-bodied, for example, not having to rest frequently is what's normal and what's good. And this is what creates shame, unfortunately, is when we don't match up to those things. And we have to work quite hard to move move away from that shame of that of that thing that's um assumed to be normal but of course not everyone in fact everyone doesn't fit into normal so we all have to deal with some some element of um some of us much more than others of course of not fitting into this normal and we can which is great Um, and you know getting support from other people is a very very good starting place to helping to adjust to that but yeah it's often that adjustment period of when you've got something new that can be quite a uh, a different thing to work with for people some also I guess long-term um discrimination and shame has also got its um got you know ongoing problems as as you know but um Yeah. yeah so shame is understandable in this context there's a shift of your you know, so many things. When there's an element of disability that comes into your life, the shift of life roles with your partners and your family and your friends, uh, shift of um, work, you know, whether you can work or not, or or levels of that, all those things are very caught up in your identity, what you feel like is important for you as a person, and you need to readjust to that. Um, when things change, as they do, and they will for all of us, unless we die super young and quickly, um, we will all, you know, with time have to adapt to different levels of disability throughout our lives. And we work with our patients around that, right? That's that's our business. Yeah. But when it's in ourselves and it's with something um, unexpected and perhaps particularly with long COVID, I don't know, you'd know better than me because it's it's new and unknown and people don't understand, you know, in those situations, makes it much harder. And it's invisible in lots of ways, right? These fatigue syndrome type things are quite invisible. The invisibility of the disability is helpful in some ways because it's not such a visible thing, but hard in other ways because people don't believe it, you know, all that type of stuff.
0: Absolutely. And so much of what you've said there kind of brings me to answer your question of me, which is what have people said to me? Um, Because there hasn't been overt uh stigma i.e what you're saying is wrong it has been that subversive i don't know whether microaggressions is the right term but it sometimes feels like it so so one of the more common ones is um but can't you just think yourself better um in summary that's not how people word it but that's what they mean which is just think a bit differently and then it'll be better or have you tried just moving a little bit more which as a physio is just so insulting. (laughs) Um, And also, I think also as a person with a health condition is also just so insulting because of course people just want to move a little bit more. They want to get on with their lives. Um, I think the other side of it is, but what about your future health? Um, So, but what about the risk of this? And what about the risk of that in the future? Which is why your article really sung to me because it's almost like putting the blame on us like if we don't push through this now it's our fault that we got something in the future um so there's been this kind of like real under i, I don't know that i'm going to use the right terms it feels underwater almost like that what people are saying to us is not intentionally um stigmatizing or shameful or um uh, saying things against what or, or disagreeing with what we're saying it's actually the unintended what's not said <laughs> um, that, yeah. that's that's making it really difficult. And particularly around what you said about the unpredictability of things and the invisibility of things because mm-hmm. people can't see when you're tired. And something that really resonated with me with uh, other physios living with long COVID was when they were saying that they've started using terms to share with their colleagues how they're feeling. Like I'm starting to fade and people just don't like, seem to understand that term because it's pretty vague, but it also encompasses our physical and our cognitive challenges that we're experiencing, which is, I am um, I just can't do this right now. I'm starting to fade. Hold on a minute. Um, but yeah, so it's yeah. Really fascinating.
1: And it, it, it's tricky because um, something like that type of idea might be really helpful once people have got to understand you better. But if I was starting to fade, I could push through it. Right. Cause I'm not living with a, you know, a, a chronic, fatigue syndrome or whatever we want to call them yeah. so you know people will understand it in their own terms and perhaps it would take some time to be able to understand it in your terms like by that I mean I really can't function I'm living with a you know long COVID or whatever it is um yeah those things are really tricky and I think I mean, there's so much to it. There's, you know, it. There's some research which says those sort of subtle forms of stigma, which are unintended, um, are the most difficult to manage because we internalise them ourselves if if we're receiving them, um, because they're much more subtle. Um, yeah, it's it's tricky stuff. Um, so one of the things I'm going to say is that it's very interesting that one of the nice things about um, that article is a. Some of the researchers are, are quite um, historian focused, and they really looked at how health is understood has been understood quite differently in different times. And while exercise has always been seen as a positive thing, there's also been very um, strong cultures of understanding rest and repose um, as a positive thing as well. And I think that's something we've really lost. I think it'd be really interesting to have some research. Um, on that work you know we always need rest even if we're training really hard is the rest time that our muscles grow or you know that our you know our our bodies shift in response to that that activity like it's always been needed Um, but it's really shifted our understandings you know I I guess I'm talking in a western probably even British kind of context of of you know of that rest and relaxation used to be the way that you'd get better you'd go and rest and and in Southeast Asia, in certain countries here, like that's still seen as the sensible thing to do if you're unwell or if you're in pain, it's to rest. So um, it's not gone, but it's um, certainly very, like as physios, it's a very, very big shift in focus these days too. You know, there used to be more things like hydrotherapy, like relaxing bath therapy, all this type of stuff, used to be considered um, the way to get well again, whereas... In- that's changed at the moment
0: yeah absolutely that that's a, a really really resonant point because obviously I'm socialized within my western white northern European uh, British uh, life and so for me rest is I don't know even as a physio it almost feels like it's a dirty word you know like you must be productive you must be busy you must do things you must have output and, and you know that's challenge in my own personal life between work-life balance but certainly as a person now with experience of living with a a disabling health condition that was a really difficult narrative to overcome because I had to learn how to rest. I I actually said if it wasn't for going through this I don't know that I'd ever learned to rest before. (laughs) I don't don't think I knew how to do it Uh, you know and you even mention it in this article about um, repose and purposeful leisure like yeah like that we are losing some of that in our discussions and narratives of when talking about therapeutic exercise for health um so i always bring it
1: in with my patients because i've been thinking about this for a long time now and um you know so i always say it's fine to rest you know like we really do need to emphasize that element you know it's fine if you want to get back to your activity but we need to you know do that in a way that's going to work for your body and, and don't feel bad if you need to rest you know i need to i think in the current context we need to be more explicit about that yeah um you know that it's healthy to rest it's helpful to rest there's sometimes we need more rest than other times you know to explore that with our patients rather than um, and ourselves, obviously, rather than just focusing on um, the activity element. That's the one that gets brought to the fore and, you know, given more attention and time. Yeah. So why not also bring bring forward this, um, the, how might you rest? What's restful for you? You know, what's restful for you now? That, you know, it might be that for some people, if they've been sitting around all day and they don't have fatigue sy- syndrome, that going out and playing a game of tennis or something is restful, Right. But it may not be for the next person. Maybe the person who's competing at a high level, it might might be very stressful and they need some really chilled out, you know, whatever's that for them, you know, time listening to music or or, or whatever.
0: Yeah. Mm. So, And that's kind of where, for me, the unintended ableism comes into this. Um, Right there, that description you made of, for someone, rest may be playing tennis. And for another person, that may be, the exact thing that will send them into bed for three months.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And for some people, they'll never be able to play tennis in their life. You know? Yeah. We've got very different, you know, very different bodies that do very different things and very different needs at different times. And the more we can explore that, I think the better off we do. And the more that we try not to assume that there's this normal, which doesn't exist because some people can some people can do those things play tennis for example and many people can't play tennis and that's okay you know that's that's how we are many people have fatigue syndromes why is that not considered the norm
0: right yeah absolutely you mentioned about research that you think should happen in the context of rest what do you think that should look like
1: For me, I would be really interested in exploring people's ideas about rest, how they think about it, what they think it might be. Um, You know, we've, we've explored exercise and activity as physiotherapists a lot, right? We've got a lot of ideas if someone needs to strengthen their quads, we can do it in a lot of different ways, right? If someone needs to rest, we may not be able to bring out all these different ideas. So the idea that tennis can be rest, but um, it may not be. Mm. Um, The idea that rest might be really like lying down for three hours a day. Like that's a terrible thing to say, sacrilege in the physio world, but uh, that might be appropriate at times. If you're recovering from a recent, you know, spinal surgery it's appropriate to rest on your, rest on your back for a number of hours a day, right? That's okay. It's entirely appropriate. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I would be very interested in just exploring it as a concept. What does rest mean in terms of healthiness for people? What does it mean in terms of enjoyment and play, even for people? Um, what, you know, how's it conceptualized in physiotherapy? How, how do we create it as a negative thing? Um, and do we, I guess, but I think we do in some ways, but exploring that a little bit more. So how are those ideas created? So that's as a sociologist, how you think about it, I guess, as a um, more um, typical physiotherapy researcher, you could, you know, test how much rest could be helpful in particular scenarios, for mm-hmm. example. So, <laughs> but that's the not so to
0: the quantitative there. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: Um I'm really interested because you asked me what my what's the response has been to my conversations. What have the responses been to this paper that you've published?
1: good overall people are really interested in it yeah so i think i shared it again on twitter recently in response to something i can't remember why but people people love it because the ideas are surprising to them i think um and and we don't try to um we don't try to say that um exercise is not helpful sometimes as well so we're careful to put that in there which i think otherwise it might have been a harsher reaction but what i found with physios because a lot of my work sort of questions our usual way of working um rest is just one example um what I find is that physios are really open to these ideas and really welcome them so um I think the only occasionally people have I think when you bring it up in a context when they're surprised and they don't have time to think about it and to chat about it with you sometimes then you can get a negative reaction but usually when there's time to um sort of you know work through it with people they they're really interested in it so usually it's been really positive yeah
0: that and that's really good to hear um because it means that as a profession hopefully we can be uh, responsive and reflexive to the things that might be our blind spots um hopefully we are
1: starting to mature we're just a young profession really in the scheme yeah. things. So I think we're starting to, and I think it's such a great sign that we're starting to, you know, in terms of like things around race as well, and and various other ways. Just you know, we sh- we should self-critique. Other professions have done that a lot more. Other health professions, like psychology, has got a lot more sort of critical scholarship and um, uh, teaching in that space for undergrads and things as well. So has nursing so it's medicine and i think it's because they're more established they've also done a fair bit of harm over time maybe so we've sort of got away with it for a little while yeah. um but as a professional there's some things we need to look at we do do harm sometimes um part of, like this is one example of where we can sometimes perpetuate that idea that exercise is good and if you're not doing it if you're not able to do it you're not such a good person you know and yeah. that can create the shame that Um, And uh, another example of where that happens in in childhood disability, where we're constantly trying to normalise people's movement patterns uh, and people can feel ashamed or they can just keep trying to, say, walk, for example, um, when walking is not really achievable. And they went through a lot of focused therapeutic exercise over many years when they could have been doing something more fun. Yeah. You know? So there's, there's those critiques of physiotherapy have come up bit by bit, a few things, and, and the fact that some researchers are looking at this stuff, it's really it's, it's great for our profession, I think. It feels scary, but, um, you know, we're such a strong, fantastic profession in so many ways that we can take a little bit of critique now, you know, Absolutely. and um, we will grow from it. You know, it'll make us better.
0: Yeah, and, and it's really healthy to have that, and I think certainly one of the things that was mentioned in the paper was about kind of uh, utilising that queer anti-theory, anti-racist approaches to uh, research to um, move forward and, and look, look at those areas, and so I think yeah. it's exciting, really exciting.
1: Carolyn Fusco, who's a kinesiologist, like an exercise scientist, I guess, in um, Canada, she, she was writing from that perspective saying that I think that you know that from queer perspectives and from from like if you think about critical race theory so anti-racist perspectives they are settings where there's been a lot of exploration of sort of difference and you know so in this in the situation we talk about now it's like not being able to exercise as a difference. Um, we can learn a lot from those fields that have already explored things like shame and stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, And they don't play out in the same way in each context, but there's a lot of similarities. Yeah, so what you were saying really reminded me of the fat stigma stuff, actually, the weight stigma. People who are considered overweight um, have gone to medical professionals and time and time again, been told to exercise and diet and blah, blah, blah. And after being told more than a few times in both subtle and less subtle ways, it becomes absolutely frustrating to talk to others because you you fear that um, stigma coming towards you and that judgment. And I imagine it's the same in your context that you know after you've had some subtle comments that are like oh you should just go get over it or oh, you should but you should be able to do at least this right or, or whatever. But you know when that comes time and time again, it's like you're expecting it the next time and the next time. And you often receive some of those assumptions that are just widely out there in society that overweight people haven't already tried lots of diets and haven't already tried lots of or, or do already eat well or do already do a lot of activity or whatever. So, you know, I guess, it's yeah, it's helpful to sort of bring these understandings of um, our profession and of... Um, these are the areas of study that can really give us some insights into how people yeah. with long covid might feel in different ways as well
0: yeah absolutely and and what you said there made me think kind of that's where what the value of of peer support because people living with similar experiences to you I- even though no one ha- shares exactly the same experiences um, th- there's there's that kind of mutual appreciation and understanding um, and that's why it's been so important for so many people to have peer support when living with a, a new emerging uncertain health condition um, which is that you're not getting that kind of I'm using the wrong terms again, but that feeling of that underwater language, that kind of just kind of sneaking in and just like a little bit of judgment just there. Um, so you're not getting that. I they
1: call people. it implicit, implicit stigma or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> subtle, subtle stigma. Yeah. yeah, I, like yeah. The under, I like the underwater. <laughs> right. Good way of explaining it. Metaphors are often better. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So there's a number of things that can be really helpful about peer support from my knowledge of it. Like one is like exploring ways to get better, right, together. That seems like usually actually often that's the way that people are brought together. But there's so many other things that are helpful about peer support, shared experiences, you know, emotional support, um, you know, um, giving back by um, sharing your experiences with others can feel really empowering as well. So lots of different reasons why peer support's really good. Yeah, so that's definitely one way to sort of help cope with stigma, um, definitely, and as well as coping with the condition, there's that stigma, unfortunately, on top of that, which is unhelpful. Um, But there's lots of other ways too. So,
0: um,
1: you know, standing up to it sometimes is good, sometimes it's not, um, you know, educating colleagues as it sounds like you're doing. Um, which can be tiring, but it can also feel like a helpful and positive thing to do at times. Um, yeah, and then, like I said, there's lots of people that have experienced sort of marginalisation and stigma, and so we can learn from other people's experiences too.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and I think that's where maybe the landscape of coronavirus and also long COVID um, being a, uh, a global um uh, unifying factor right now is potentially going to be quite useful because it is ultimately bringing everyone together on one topic uh you, like we've seen with the vaccine response you know like bringing everyone together created the world's fastest development of vaccine um, and potentially there is opportunities here with what you've been discussing about bringing critical minds together from so many different fields because actually there are going to be people all over the world that are acquiring coronavirus and potentially developing long COVID and so can bring those minds together to to look at how we can advance care practice policy research everything um, there, there's so much opportunity with this um, so it's, and I
1: think also like the bringing together of the physio community with the um you know me communities as well like that's how wonderful that there's more physios that have <laughs> not wonderful for the physios but wonderful for the communities that live with those conditions yeah. like there's more physios that might understand and and you know that might become a speciality area for
0: yeah.
1: uh, physios with that kind of experience
0: yeah well fortunately in the UK we do have a group called physios for ME and uh, in the states there's a group called uh, PTOT for ME um, so there, there, there are some small groups and I think what's been really fascinating is that kind of opportunity for uh, shared learning in different and additional directions between the groups of long COVID and ME-CFS and, and other people living with chronic health conditions. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, my speciality is HIV and I've translated lots from what I've learned from working with people living with HIV for many years into my experience of, you know, episodic disability, for example. Um, I I wanted to ask you another question if that's all right. Um, so if off the back of this paper and this conversation, and I think we could probably talk for hours on this sort of topic because there's so much to discuss, but if you had the opportunity to maybe raise a key point with anyone that was listening, what would that key point be?
1: I'm trying to think about who I'm talking to. Is it physios or physios with long COVID?
0: Well, there's also a lot of people that are not physios listening to this.
1: Okay. So maybe a a different key point. (laughs) Okay, yeah. To the physios in people, people, or the health professional parts of people, my one point would be try and avoid assumptions about anything. This is a great example of where it can really go wrong. Mm. Even things that seem wonderful are not entirely wonderful. Even things, things that seem in quite harmful are not entirely harmful. So let's try and be complicated about the way in which we respond to things and, and versatile. So understanding it better, like this kind of conversation, can help you be a more versatile health worker of whatever sort. And to the people with... Um, that living with chronic conditions. My main point, I think don't be tough on
0: yourself. That's a tough one. Yeah.
1: Because that's what shame can do, you know, is can really make you give yourself a hard time in various ways, different ways of different people,
0: mm.
1: but don't be hard on yourself. Give yourself a break. Yeah.
0: Oh, well thank you for those key points. So this paper, what we'll do is we will link to this paper at the bottom of this podcast and uh, whether that be on YouTube or other channels. Um, Do you think there are other key places that if people wanted to learn more about this topic that you might signpost people to? Like we've mentioned how much we can learn from other areas. Is there anything that kind of springs to mind? And I've really just dumped this on you, and I'm sorry for that. But prior <laughs> 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 warning would have been good because <laughs> there's probably anything some great things comes to mind. You know, <laughs> place to well, go. the rest of that special
1: issue, if you're academically minded, would be worth having a look at. So yeah. um, you can see the journal on the link. Um, there's a special issue there that talks about um, exercises, medicine in various different ways. Some really interesting papers there. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so so I think that's worth looking at. Um, and they're, you know, they're within the sort of physiosphere, the writers there, it's sort of um, a sports-type um, journal, so it's quite interesting. Um, I don't know. Other than what we've already discussed, I can't think of anything. I'll <laughs> shoot you through some references to
0: yeah. add. <laughs> that was a really big question. Or just some I'm sites
1: to add. Yeah, but I think it's worth exploring. Like if if, if feeling shame and stigmas um, really resonating with you, then I think have a look into some of the ways of approaching managing that, mm. even seek, um, you know, some support from a counsellor or a psychologist or something because you can really shift that. It, it, yeah. It's good not to keep that too much in yourself. So if that's really... Um, Important. like if that seems like a big part of what's going on for you really like do explore it it's it's quite well understood um, there's ways you know we can't necessarily completely get rid of it but there's ways we can manage it better so um, that can be really helpful um, yeah that's all Great. I've got for now
0: Well, I hope off the back of this podcast, people listening might be uh, more interested in exploring this and potentially there may be some people that are interested in um, some research or some further investigation into this topic. So whether that be long COVID or not. Um, So I I really hope that this conversation might uh, spark some fires in some people um, and, and potential opportunities to collaborate Around the world on these sort of things, as as we've seen, um, can happen from just having a conversation. Uh, even with you and I, uh, there are many things that have sparked from conversations. Um, and,
1: and people feel free to contact me if there's something in particular you want to follow up on what I've said, and uh, I can I can send you whatever connect you with people or whatever so
0: no problem with that oh that's kind thank you Jenny well I think this has come to a really natural uh closure of the conversation so I want to say really 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 thank you uh for the conversation it's been wonderful I've really enjoyed it um I want to say thank you to you and all the co-authors of this paper uh for uh bringing it together uh published in 2018 um because three years later it's still really strong and powerful and meaningful um and and I would imagine will be for a long time. Uh, I'm, so. glad it,
1: I'm glad it's been helpful. I'll send an email off to the co-authors, um, none of who um, I co-located at my university. So I'll send an email off saying how helpful it is. And it's always wonderful when you put your research out in the world. Sometimes you have no idea how mm. and if it's doing anything. So um, look, it's lovely to hear. Thank you. Brilliant. I'm, glad it's, I'm glad it's helpful.
0: It really is. Well, thank you very much. And what I'll do is I will stop the recording now.
1: Okay.